Welcome back to another episode of Unapologetically Anxious Me, Confessions of a Haitian Girl in Small Town, Minnesota. My name is Joe, of course, and I'm here with a very special guest today, and I'm so excited because this is like my first big interview, so I'm really excited to even have him here. It's Jason Soul. Jason has been a criminal justice educator for a decade and is currently an adjunct professor at Hamlin University. He's a national keynote speaker and trainer. He's the past president of the Minneapolis NAACP in which he launched several public initiatives that led to harm reduction in Hennepin County. Sol was a 2013 Bush Fellow who focused on juvenile delinquency and recidivism throughout the state of Minnesota. He helped launch Mayor Coleman's Community Ambassadors Program which led to 63% reduction in juvenile crime in the first year. In 2014, he published his memoir, From Prison to PhD, a memoir of hope, resilience, and second chances. He recently served as the Community First Public Safety Initiatives Director for the City of St. Paul. In addition, Jason is the co-founder of the Humanize My Hoodie movement in which he's challenging threat perceptions about black men through clothing, art exhibitions, and workshops. You are the co-founder of Humanize My Hoodie. That's definitely such a big statement to me. What started all that? Why Humanize My Hoodie? Um, you know, really, I stand, I stand for what I believe in. I've been like that since a kid, where it's like, you know, my mouth would get me in trouble just because I'm willing to, you know, I'm willing to speak up. You know, I'm willing mm-hmm. to stand up when something's not right. And I've always had it in me, but I didn't have the formalized aspect of it, you know, until I got older and really started studying and being around some people like Angela Davis and, you know, mm-hmm. some other folks who were really fighting for changes for black people. So I had been teaching for eight years as a professor and I just was like, man. I'm going to do something bold. And I always try things. I always want to, you know, be creative in the classroom and get mm-hmm. my students to think and, you know, change their minds about the way they view people who represent a difference. So, mm-hmm. you know, I just said, you know, I'm going to wear a hoodie the whole semester and I'm going to teach with yeah. the hopes that my students can be more comfortable with a black man in a hoodie before mm-hmm. they get their badge and their gun. So that was the thought behind it. I ran it past my department chair and then it went to the dean and I said, okay, I'm, I'm full on submitting a proposal to the university to do this research. And, you know, I wanted to make it public, too. I wanted, you know, people to know what I was doing in my classroom. And I mm-hmm. took a picture with my family and I stacked books up and I just said, you know, hashtag humanize my hoodie. Yeah. And um, just went crazy from there. Like people, you know, sometimes you got a praise or you got something that makes people, yeah. you know, just gravitate towards it. Mm-hmm. And humanize my hoodie was one of those phrases. And my friend called me. He was like, hey, man, let's let's move on that, man. He's a fashion designer, so he was the right person to say, hey, let's, we can, you know, really trademark this and make this something. I think that's you know, so that cool. People can see across <laughs> the world. So, you know, it's more of a friendship there, but yeah. uh, we have to have a work plan. We don't have a business plan. We have a work plan. So that makes us flexible in what we do and how we do it because we're not locked into seeing something happen one way. So that's what started the movement and we're just grateful for all the support we've gotten from John Legend to New mm-hmm. York Fashion Week to all of that. It's just all great, you know, how people are supporting it. Yeah, I I, I think that was the coolest thing to actually see. I, I saw some of the clips of the fashion show 
that you guys were at a, at New York Fashion Week, which of course I know nothing about, but I know it's prestigious and big. <laughs> and <laughs> I think that was so cool. Um, I, I think um, I posted the picture of one of the designs where it was actual bullets um, yeah. on the, the sweatshirt itself. And I was like, this is so amazing. And I love yeah. the concept because when I actually, when I first decided to go to that speaking event, I was actually shocked when I walked into the room and you were in a hoodie because I was like, is he really yeah. wearing? Because <laughs> I had seen the picture on the poster, like, and you were suited up, and and I'm yeah. like, I'm like, this has got to be like the coolest thing to do to like be bold enough to come into Alexandria of all places and yeah. have a full-on hoodie so i was like where is this going to go i need to see this sure. Sure. So and that's why. i thought that was yeah. so powerful and and i didn't even know that humanize my hoodie was part of it at that moment yeah i mean you know when i came i can't really remember i think i was telling i think i was sharing stories just helping people understand you know where i came from what i went through and yeah. you know ultimately the ways i figured out you know how to get from under the criminal justice system because that system tried to take majority of my life you yeah. know so it's like i was entangled in the criminal justice system majority of my life so i said i need to study it so i can learn my laws and teach other people so once i started learning it and my credibility started rising and it was like i did so many keynote speeches and i'm you know on videos documentaries i just said man you gotta accept me coming into your venue with a hoodie on yeah. like that's just what it is like i yeah. still teach the same the information is still the same i'm gonna bring the same level of energy like a suit don't you know give me more mm -hmm. it don't amplify me i feel great you know so yeah. since we kicked off the project i've been wearing hoodies at everything i've done you know i every think that's i think that's bold and and it makes a, a huge statement because you know you have to i feel like it's important to like you know, um, it forces people to confront their discomfort with it, and and at, it, for whatever reason that is, I think it, you have to question it. And if it if it's seeing that exposure over and over again, I think that that's the most important part. Yeah, and it's sparking con it's, it's sparking conversations all over the place. Like mm -hmm. when people rocking them, I mean, we get so many stories from Texas and. I mean, all over, man. The Midwest, people call us and, or send us messages and say, man, I had on a hoodie. And yeah. I had the most amazing conversation with somebody who was curious about why I needed to wear it. And it's like, it's in those moments where it's like, the stuff bigger than me, man. I'm just a vessel. So it's yeah. like, if I could use my platform to help somebody else have a deeper conversation or challenge their biases or better understand the transgender community or better understand Muslim folks or mm -hmm. atheist folks, man, I'm using my platform for it because like we all have a gift and it's like once you figure out what that gift is, you got to give it to the world. So me telling you start your show and get it going, it's like in all of this, your gifts are going to show. Yeah. And as long as you stay true to your gifts, it's like it's unstoppable. I think I, I I wouldn't have started any of this had I not like actually sat through that entire event and and had that conversation at the end with you and um, mm. actually felt bold enough to talk about it in a room where I I wasn't really sure like how the people felt about me there and um, yeah. I I I 
I had a really tough time adjusting to Alexandria and I'm still in the process of adjusting. So it's just been one giant like social experiment for me. And I think yeah. I think had I not actually taken that step that night, I, I think I'd still be curled up on my couch right now and yeah. afraid to leave. Um, I think one of the most um, amazing things about you is that you you really are a, a whole like your your life is is an example of how you can be um, one thing one day and a complete other thing another day and completely change and have a second chance at actually doing amazing things and regardless of where you come from. And, and that's something that I think I've, I've really been challenging myself to, to really be more positive and thinking about that in terms of my own life and my own career. And I just mm-hmm. wanna know like what, what drives you to actually get mm-hmm. up and do that every day and have these conversations and not just, it's okay, you know? Because I mean, you, mm-hmm. you've, you've caught into a place in your life where I feel like you're successful, you've written a book, you're, you know, you've done all these amazing things and you've worked with a lot of great people. Um, mm-hmm. Why is it still important to be on the ground and doing the hard work? Um, just because, like, I know it's motivation for people who don't get a chance to be a black man successful or, yeah. you know, a black man speaking his mind or walking with confidence just because society, the way it's built, you know, they you know like it's still slavery here slavery still exists in america so for me it's like no i know what my ancestors did i know who harriet tubman is Mm -hmm. i know who muhammad ali is like i know people who were great who said that they were going to sacrifice so that their kids and their grandkids could see a different world so it's like for me i'm not gonna drop that ball yeah so for me like i could yeah i could chill in my office at hamlin or i can kick back and write a few more books i got a lot of stuff i want to get off my chest a lot of things i want to say mm-hmm. but at the same time i know what it does when i walk into a school where the black kids are not succeeding and then i had that conversation with them i know what i hear from their teachers later on so for me i gotta be in the trenches i gotta go into prisons i gotta give the women in shakopee energy i gotta go to prisons in south dakota because they're like i i, I go around because it's like I don't want to be, you know, considered an exception. Yeah. I believe we all great. So for me, if I got a platform and I got a voice, I want to be able to show other people how I did it. I don't want to just be like, yeah, let me get mine and let me just focus yeah. on my family. I've never had that mentality. It's like, I want everybody to win. Like, and I like, I just show a lot of love. I really think we only here, you know, to love each other. So yeah. for me, I'm, I'm moving in the spirit of love. So every day it's like, another day to change something or do something differently because I remember them 23 hours in that cold cell yeah it's like you know what I'm saying like I'm not going to allow that to determine how I you know look at life or I'm not going to allow it to limit me so I move militantly you know it's like I mm-hmm. definitely you know try and move in a way where I'm armed with knowledge and you know put myself in the safest positions but at the same time it's like I gotta be bold and courageous just so I can spark that young person to be able to be courageous enough to start they business or start they you know on podcast or start they television show or whatever yeah. like sometimes you got to see stuff in order to be it so i just want to be that example and still you know walk in humility and show love like it don't matter if you the janitor it don't matter if you the 
you know, head of the office. Mm-hmm. I give everybody the same respect. It don't matter if you older, younger. None of that stuff matters to me. I love everybody. So, for me, that's important to walk and show healthy masculinity. Yeah. And, um, you know, that's just really important for me. I think that's so powerful. Um, I, mental health is something I focus on a lot um, on the podcast. And um, because I'm very open about my own anxieties and the things that I experience on a daily basis, because it was in keeping all that in that I really hurt myself the most. And so um, any time that I get an opportunity to discuss it or to be open about it and to talk to other people about what they do to get through their own pain, I I always want to talk about it because um, I feel like we don't discuss it enough and there's too much of a stigma around it. And I think especially in our community, um, a black man even um, being going through as much as you've gone through, experiencing as much loss as you've gone through, and, and a lot of tragedy. How yeah. do you handle that from a mental health perspective? What do you do yeah. to still deal with that? I mean, for me, I don't, I don't stay away from it, and I'm like, I'm the kind of person where I make myself vulnerable. You know you know, to open myself up to receive some help, because that's not what you taught as a young boy growing up. I grew up in Chicago, so yeah. it's like they teach you to stuff your emotions, be strong, man mm-hmm. up, all of that stuff, and I realized as I got older how how much that stuff was infect- uh, affecting me and impacting my relationships, just any kind of relationship. It could be an intimate relationship, it could be a relationship with friends, mm-hmm. whatever, and for me, if I feel something or see something, I'm good at you know, bringing it to the surface so I can actually wrestle with it with somebody else. And that's what humanity is supposed to look like. But for me, of course, I'm always dealing with tragedy. I was in Ferguson when Mike Brown was killed. I done been on the ground in the Twin Cities when we were fighting for liberation, 18-day occupation, Philando. You know, like, I've I've been on the ground. And it's like, I don't want to say I'm desensitized to tragedy, but it's so much a part of the Black experience that... I'm not, I'm not moved. It's like I expect to hear bad news at this point. So for me, since I know it's always coming and it's always around the corner, I like live every day to the fullest. Cause it's like, I know I'm gonna get a call one day and say, and hear that somebody I love has passed away. Yeah. It's just part of, it's just part of this journey. So for me, I don't look at life as, oh man, it's a tragedy coming and we gotta handle this. It. Like, yeah. man, we here, what can I do? to help this family that's going through this mourning process or what can I do to um, get justice for somebody I always think about you know how can I be an empathetic listener for somebody going through it but then after I listen and take in what they want me to do and listen to everything that they stated then I think about okay let's get to action how do we actually you know repair the harm that's been done so that's always my philosophy like I'm listening I'm always an open heart. You know, I'm always, my door at Hamlin is always open for my students who go through things on campus, dealing with racism or dealing with, you know, body shaming or whatever it is. And I'm always the one saying, like, I might not have been through that or I might not have been abused in that way, but mm-hmm. I still care. Yeah. So I'm going to just listen to you. And if you have something you want me to do, I'm going to be an ally. Yeah. So that's how I just show up in the world. Because it's like life is short, man. And I'm not trying to 
be here just stuck in the trauma. I'm trying to actually yeah. enjoy a little bit of it. So that's how I actually deal with the sorrow and the pain. It's like, yeah, I know pain gonna come. Yeah. But until it comes, I'm gonna love the hell out of my life. I'm gonna love everything about it. It was snowing earlier. <laughs> I wasn't sure. I'm like, all love. I'm beginning to look good. <laughs> I just, I just, I just keep it moving. Yeah. Let nobody steal a day from me. I lost too many days in prison. I'm not gonna let somebody steal one of my days when I'm quote unquote free. I think that's amazing. And of course, you're uh, you mentioned that you're a father and a husband. So I imagine that your kids are now like such a big part of everything that you do. Do you talk to them about? the things that have happened to you and that you've experienced is that something you want them to know about well my daughter when she turned 12 we drove to chicago together you know um my wife and my youngest daughter came afterwards and i let her read my book you know she's 12 she don't mm-hmm. know my past like people will come up to me at events and i get awards and stuff like that and people will say man he was incarcerated and there you know my daughter janae would always say like man what they talking about like like you was in jail or whatever like she's like trying to figure it out yeah um, i talk to you when the time is right i never denied it but i'm like i mess up your development if i try and explain this to you mm-hmm. why you nine and ten you wow you well know, i mean so, it's a lot to take in i guess yeah <laughs> yeah you know a 12 year old can't understand i mean a 10 year old 11 year old I mean, it depends on their level of maturity and their level of understanding. But I knew my daughter couldn't really understand that somebody would try to kill me. Mm-hmm. Like, I got shot. Like, that's something. Like, oh, I, I, I read it. And I'm still having a hard time understanding how yeah. you're alive. Um, yeah. Because it's yeah. just um, everything. All I kept coming back to was, like, you're, you at least appear to be completely fearless. And yeah. At yeah, least yeah, yeah. from the outside looking in, because I imagine it has to be, you have to have some level of like just complete optimism and faith in, and yeah. you yeah. um to be able to experience those things and live through it and still be a whole person <laughs> at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, I'm grateful to walk out of those situations with my whole family. Yeah. Cause it's like I saw people go from, you know, like being fun, happy, young, to just getting really broken in themselves. Like coming out of there depressed, um, needing medication, mm-hmm. eating strong drugs. And I've seen people go from, you know, having that spark in life to, you know, want to kill themselves. So for me, it's like if I can give somebody a little bit of energy or I can take that time, even though I really ain't got the time to just lift up what somebody else doing and be a light for them, I do it. So with my daughters, it's like they leaders, man. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? They 8 and 12, but shit, everybody know my daughters and what they stand for and what they're about. Like, they got their own identity, aside from their daddy. Like, mm-hmm. I, they don't have to live in my shadow. Everybody know who they are. They dance, they, you know, um, play sports, volleyball, all that stuff, and they get a full life. They have their friends over here and stuff all the time. They go to parties all the time. They got a full life, and they actually had a life, you know, that I wish I had growing up. So yeah. I'm grateful to be able to give that to them and keep them safe in all of this, you know. So, you know, definitely fatherhood. That's one of those pieces I 
stress to other other men when I'm going to prisons and mm-hmm. different places. I always say, man, your kids are mad vulnerable without you being able to, you know, nurture them and give them the love that they need. So let's make this stop in prison your last stop because it's like somebody's hurting yeah. with you not being around. Mm-hmm. So for me, definitely, I live fatherhood up. Even when people ask me what's my legacy or what's my you know, like, most important job or most important thing I've done, I always point back to fatherhood. I always say, if there's somebody out here that I've given life to, I'm going to be there every day, every yeah. step of the way. I'm going to be like, I got parent-teacher conferences tonight. It's like, I haven't missed one. My daughter's 12. And why is that <laughs> so important to you? Especially since you didn't grow up with that. Oh, uh, just like anything my kids are involved and I'm involved in. And of course, my daughter getting 12, she won't be less involved than some other stuff. <laughs> <laughs> my business. Every day, I'm in it. But, um, keep my friends that. love me. And I'm <laughs> uh, um, you know, I just want to stress that importance is the importance of um, education. You know what I'm saying? Like, I didn't understand it as a kid and didn't understand how I should have worked hard on my GPA so I could get scholarships and stuff like that. But my daughter's come over to Hamlin and see that I'm an actual professor and that lets them know like man dang you know my father's serious about teaching on the academic level and I took them to University of South uh what is it is it Southern California University of Southern California when we was in LA and they loved being on that campus so for me I always stress education where it's like hey you're gonna get this education man and you're gonna get a scholarship even yeah. if you don't you know I got you but I still want you to be able to you know, get your own money because I know I know you got it in you. So, you know, being at those meetings are just important. You know, they need to see me talking to their teacher and being able to work with the teacher and all of that stuff because it's like it helps them further develop and we can strengthen each other. So it's like mm-hmm. they teachers, I'm cool with they teachers. And it's like, let me know the real. Don't yeah. tell me, if, you know, um, you know, just what I want to hear about my daughters. I want to hear what they're not doing well so we can, you know, work together and partner on making sure they succeed so it's important just to see it because a lot of them yeah they just don't see you know black men you know at the parent teacher conferences so it's Mm -hmm. like from day one i wanted them to know like you're gonna see me in this school i'm very involved love my kid like Mm -hmm. all of that stuff so it's just it's just critical in comparison to your your own upbringing and what you had to um, experience and doing all that. I remember and at the end of your book you talk about how um, you know that no matter what you do um, there's always going to be the stigma against what's, what you've gone through or having been incarcerated or how do you deal with that for, with your kids? I'm at a point where I don't, I mean I'm just truly blessed like all that, that's all, that's the only way I really can put it but I don't even I mean, I think people know me well enough yeah. since incarceration. Like, they've seen me in parades. They've seen me front line. They've seen me in the classroom. Like, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. you can, you can, I'm not hard to find in the city. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm at everywhere. I'm at the restaurants. I'm, you know, I'm everywhere in the, in the city. So I think I don't, like, the jobs that come to me now yeah. or the work that I take on, it's really based off people saying hey, I want to work with you like yeah. even when I came over to Hamburg you know because if you look when I published my book that was 2014 okay I was assistant professor at Metro State in criminal justice mm-hmm. I left that job because I just felt like they weren't ready for what I was bringing I didn't yeah. feel like 
I mean, yeah, they got big degrees from Ivy League schools, but I just felt like competitively they weren't where I was and Mm -hmm. they couldn't see my vision. They couldn't see where I was going. So I just didn't want to be a part of that no more. And I just said, hey, you know, when my term is up, I don't want to be an assistant professor here. And, you know, being formerly incarcerated, you know, they looking at me like you just like you got three felonies. Yep. and a bunch of misdemeanors like how are you going to quit as an assistant professor and I was just so confident in my brand and confident in my base of people who support me and I was just like you know I'm leaving Hamlin called me like shortly after hearing that I left and was like hey we want you here like we see what you got we see what you do we look at all your research so for me I don't apply for jobs at this point in my career yeah. you know and I'm blessed to be able to say that like I'm not seeking any kind of employment it's, it's important for me to just lock myself in a room and create and write and come up with you know maybe a proposal for a corporation to respond to or something like that but I'm not in a place where I'm looking forward to like a you know nine to five like I'm yeah. not I'm not there that's de- um I think just in general with our community and kind and the things that we actually experience once you're in the system you're kind of in the system it's still something that a lot of black families my own family and friends have experienced it and it's still something that I know a lot of people go through what do you say to the people who are still like in the trenches and feel like they're on the hamster wheel I mean block out the noise you know that's the best advice I can give it's like block out the noise and don't spend too much time trying to convince somebody to either give you an opportunity or do something that you have the power to do yourself. You know, I mean, this last January, you know, I left my job in the in the mayor's office mm-hmm. in St. Paul, the capital of Minnesota. I, mm-hmm. I left because I'm like, man, this ain't, this is not the move. Like, I could do so much more without being in this office. And I was getting over $100,000. I was making six figures. And I just said... Nah, I got to stay here. Like, I mean, I move in a different way. I know my brand. I know what I'm about. And I know if I just lock myself in a room and do the work, I'd be able to get people, you know, out of prison or raise bail money or help kids in Waterloo or whatever. I knew I can. I, I, I trusted that I was going to put in the work. And I trusted that the people who love and support me were going to have my back. And when you got that, you know, you can do whatever. You know what I'm saying? As long as you got the space to create and the vision and got the work ethic to carry it through, man, can't nothing stop that. So for me, I've always felt like I was going to figure out a way to, you know, get my homeboys out of prison and, you know, help them get on the right track. I always felt it. Now I can actually live it. Where it's like, okay, let's go ahead and figure out how we're going to get him a job. He get released in a month. I got to put my mind to work and figure out how I got to get these funds to get my family member okay. You know, because it's like I still got family members who are incarcerated and stuff. So even though I'm doing well, I'm never going to be that far removed because it's right in my family. It's right, you know, in the community. It's like people I grew up with and love doing life. So... For me, it's like it's always important to go in the prisons and motivate them and give them energy. But it's also important for me to give them some tangible too. You know what I'm saying? So yeah. I think that's what allows me to give hope to the people in the trenches because it's kind of hopeless when you're yeah. at the bottom. It's hard to dream mm-hmm. and think about you know what you're gonna do and how you're gonna be great when your life's about to go out. It's very difficult. 
but I always say I dreamed of being an author when I was in that cell. I dreamed of being a professor when I came home. I dreamed of those things, and I was blessed and fortunate enough to get the opportunity. And when the opportunity came, I just didn't drop that ball. Yeah, I think it's great to be able to see somebody doing that and actually being successful in that arena because we're we're, we have so little examples of that and it, it just doesn't feel like it everyone gets that happy ending I know that just in my own life it's hard to it's hard to get people to see past you know the color yeah. and to see past you know their own biases so before yeah. they even see you as a person there's all this other crap that clouds what they actually feel um, about you that you have nothing, no control over. And um, that's something that me and my family, we deal with on an everyday basis, just being in this community. um, It's hard to find where you belong. And um, I think that it was so important for me to see you and someone like you doing what you're doing because it makes me hopeful that like I, I have some sort of power left. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You do get it. You do get it. I mean, when you spoke in that room, you know, it's people who, I mean, who support me, who were saying, man, you know, I want to, you know, help. I want to, you know, um, you know, support her how I can. And I was like, that's what it's about. You know, it's like, I don't live in Alexandria. I was passing through and I wanted to just, you know, share my knowledge and wisdom but it's always something beautiful that comes out of those engagements so yeah. you know like to be able to inspire people and help people get to a, a better place it's like that's what it seemed like it's about so for those yeah. who can't get that seat at the table or who, or who are not being heard it's like man like I didn't kick down these doors for myself yeah. you know what I'm saying like I didn't do all of this just for me and my family to you know um be elite you know it's like I want everybody to win so it's like when you have that mentality of yeah you got something that you got to do personally and you got to accomplish this goal that's cool Mm -hmm. but at the end of the day you want to say how many other people was I able to like impact that's where it's really at to me because it's like yeah I'm gonna figure out something you know to um you know get food on the table but beyond that it's like how am I how am I gonna get food on somebody else's table or help them, you know, be the next person who was formerly incarcerated, but now they are a professor, or now they are author. It's like, yeah. I always want to see, you know, somebody else be able to do it. I don't want to be, you know, it's like you talk to, in the Twin Cities and beyond, like, people always point to me and say, man, you talk to Jason Soul, you heard Jason Soul? It's like, mm-hmm. I don't even be at meetings or forums or any of those big engagements anymore. And my mm-hmm. name always come up, my work always come up. People always say, Jason mentored me when I was in the juvenile facility mm-hmm. I remember he advocated for women who were being shackled while giving birth people remember and know these things because Maya Angelou said it best people will forget what you said but they never forget how you made them feel exactly yeah. I don't I, I don't think lightly of that I listen to the ancestors and I try to lift them up as much as possible because I know like I say, I'm not here for me I'm here to you know carry out the work so when you have that mentality like there's really no way for you to lose it really means so much to me to just be able to have this conversation with you 
Um, yeah. So where can people follow you? Um, where can they go to find out more resources and know what you're doing? What's next? I mean, I'm on social media, but not really. Not on my personal page. I'm doing stuff for Humanize My Hoodie. On Definitely there, follow Humanize My Hoodie. Humanize My Hoodie, I think on Twitter. Um, I am Jason Soul on Twitter, but, you know, I'm not really a social media dude. Like, yeah. I like to <laughs> connecting with people. Like, you know, I like looking people in their eyes. When I want to talk to somebody, mm-hmm. I make a phone call. So, I'm like, I'm still pretty old. <laughs> and I want to keep it like that, actually. But I know I got to keep up. But yeah, people can follow me on those sites or my website, jasonsoul.com. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for doing this. I really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you for having me. Have a good evening. You too. Bye-bye. Unapologetically Anxious Me is written and produced by Joe Ciceron. Produced, edited, and recorded by Heather Hypley. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast provider.